Thanks, Zach. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. I was last here, I think, about six years ago. So some of you might remember, or maybe I was really boring, so you can't remember that term. But uh, anyway, some pictures are going to come up on the screen to sort of uh, give a bit of context to the message. So if you didn't know where Burundi was, that's where it is, in the heart of Africa. So it was one country with Rwanda until 1962. It was called Rwanda-Rundi. So Rwanda, we get, don't we? Genocide. And Burundi, actually, our genocide started before Rwanda, and theirs went on for three months very intensely, whereas ours went on for 13 years. So I've lived in war zone, and Latterly, uh, post-war zone, well, we had 10 years of peace, and then 2015, it kicked off again. And so I've lived in a very different context from you guys here in Edinburgh, and that's the challenge maybe in terms of earthing the, 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 the scripture in, in your, uh, and applying it to your reality, but it is the same Jesus. He's Jesus of Burundi, who, who's Jesus of Edinburgh. And uh, next one shows a bit closer up. It's the size of Wales, not a big place. Live in That's how it sounds, the language out there. Next one. And that's sadly what, Ian, this is 2015. So I went out, I was 25 when I went out to Burundi. I'm 46 now. I thought I'd die before the age of 30. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. I didn't die. I had the chance to get married, three kids, and uh, we had 10 years of peace, 2005, 2015. That's 2015, and it sort of kicked off again, and it's, uh, we got elections this year, and it's very high stakes, and we have massive stuff going on. I'm presuming this is going on the website, so I can't say too much on that, but uh, it's, it's a big year coming up, and we're praying that that is not a repeat. Next one. Uh, so my, and my heart is, you know, having thought I'd die for this message, it's definitely a message worth dying for, but how far is too far when Jesus on the cross opens his arms wide? And he went that far. And he didn't go that far for us to play it safe in Edinburgh. For us to settle for less than who he is. For, to, so for a consumer Jesus or a domesticated Jesus or a diluted gospel. That's not what it's about. That's, that's, that's pathetic. It's emasculated. It's got no power. And, uh, and that's what I'll be challenging us on this morning. And I'm not even saying that we have settled for that. But, but, but the temptation is, as we live in a consumer culture, that uh, we, can, we can miss the authentic Jesus. And I, I wouldn't want anyone to miss it, because if you miss it, then uh, you're missing out on life to full. And that's what he's offering us. And some of you are thinking, you nut job, why would you go out to Burundi? Why would you now have risked your, your wife and kids out there? And I went out there because when I was 24, so uh, some of you can be ahead of the game, but it doesn't matter what stage of our lives you are. When I was 24, this is the prayer that took me to Burundi. The prayer was, God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. Simple prayer. It's what he wants all of us to pray. And I don't want you to come to Burundi, so don't think I'm on a recruiting drive. But he does want you to pray that prayer. I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. I don't want security, I said, because security is a mixed blessing. When we're secure in and of ourselves, we don't need God. or don't think we need God. Amen? That was a lame amen. I think it was lame because we do, let's be honest, we do like security. And we put security in our pension or our house or whatever. There's nothing wrong with the security. There's nothing wrong with the pension or the house, but there is if that's your security. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm to be your security. And that's the only truly safe place to be. And so that was my prayer, Lord. I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. Got no girlfriend, no strings. You can send me anywhere on the planet. And this guy tracked me down in the city in London. I'd never met this bloke before. And he said, my name's Robert DeBerry, and I've been praying. I believe God sent me to you. He wants you to go to Burundi and be involved in youth and mission and evangelism. I said, my heart's thumping in my chest saying, God, is this you? Because that wasn't a vacuum. I'd been praying that prayer. And so I said, all right, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll be spiritual. I'll pray about it. I went back to my job. I was in front of the computer. God, right now, in front of this computer, if you want me to go to Burundi, well, that means leaving family, friends, security, career, everything, going to this place where I might get killed. And people have tried to kill me. So right now, in front of the computer, give me a radical sign to justify radical change in career. That was the prayer. Right now, in front of the computer, this marketing job's got nothing to do with Burundi. Give me a radical sign if you want me to go. Phone rings, pick it up. The voice on the other end, out the blue, said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? Burundi. 
marker in the ground, my life turned like that on that phone call. And listen, it's great, isn't it, when you get spoken to so clearly. Most of us, well, that's my call. That's no one else's call. You don't need a wacky phone call from God to follow Jesus. You just got to pray that prayer. And then he's got to talk this morning because we're looking at the scripture. He'll talk through circumstances, common sense, friends, books, whatever. But pray that prayer. Stop bargaining with him. He wants to use you. I can look back 20 years and see that we've seen a few hundred thousand people come to Jesus. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? That's not my glory because I know the fickleness of my own heart. We've all all got our issues, haven't we? But we've got a mighty God. And may you hear his call this morning to things so much greater than are sometimes myopic dreams. Next one. Um, I'd love you again to get these, not just to free me up from a whole load of kilograms lugging around the country, but, but you know, this, it's a daily devotional on choosing life, making good choice. Are we going to choose to live by faith or by fear, urgency or apathy? I'll look at some of those maybe as we turn to the scriptures now, but, but it's a daily devotional and it can't be rubbish because it's voted devotional of the year. So if you want a daily shot in the arm to really go for it and to not, not settle for anything less than God's best, then do grab that afterwards. Next one. And there's the team, there's the team Gilbo. So we are, that's five of only about 10 white Burundians in the world. We, are, we became Burundian, so proud of that, you know, identifying with your people. And uh, yeah, I mean, it might have been incredibly costly. Praise God, we've been protected uh, through some pretty heavy stuff, I'll be honest with you, but uh, we've been protected. There aren't too many scars in the mix. And I never get tired, and there's, there's a twist to the story. I might have told this story last time I was here, six years ago, but there's a few twists in the mix. So that, look at my lovely daughter there. She is named after the next one. She's named after that little girl. I held that girl in 1997, couldn't, was told her story, and it broke my heart, blew me away. So, so she was, her mum gave birth to her and threw her down a toilet. And... Um, the next person going to the toilet, University Hospital, saw this thing, that piece of flesh down there, and she was still alive because her neck got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And so the next person reached down, fished her out, cleaned her off, got poo on herself in the process as she cleaned her off, fed her through a straw like a little bird weighing just a couple of pounds, and next one, that's her, beautiful young lady. Isn't that amazing? And next one, as God wove the tapestry of our lives, she ended up being our babysitter. And, and when I married Lizzie, I said, if ever we are blessed with a daughter, I want to name her after that girl. So that little white one's named after the big black one. They share the same name. And the name is, and this is my friend who gave her this name, gave her the name, my friend, sorry, my friend who adopted her gave her this name. It's the name Grace. And I love that name. That's my favorite girl's name because that is the gospel. That's what we're here for, I hope. And if you're not, may you be so by the end of the service. And that is that it doesn't matter whether multi-murdering raping, pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people here in Edinburgh. We all need God's grace, don't we? And we are metaphorically down that pit. None of us, you can't get out yourself. This is so important to understand. Religion and all the world's religions, it's all about there's a separation between us and the divine. And if, if I do good things, I might earn my way out of that pit and, and bridge that separation myself. You cannot, there's a massive chasm. And so what we've just celebrated uh, at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, God with flesh on the incarnation, he actually comes down. He reaches down, he picks us up and he cleans us up on the cross, takes up on him so that we can now be beautiful and, and pure and acceptable. And we take his righteousness on ourselves. So he can look at you this morning. He can genuinely look at you and say, wow, my daughter, you're so, my son, I love you. I mean, that's incredible. And that is a message worth living and dying for. That is a message we don't need to perform. This morning, we're looking at following his lead. That's the title of the talk, following his lead. And as we follow his lead, and we're going to look at a scripture from Romans chapter 12, where where. 
Basically, it's about getting on the altar, going to our own cross, whatever that looks like. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So following his lead, I mean, that's not a soft sell, is it? That's not a soft sell. He's saying, you need to get on the altar yourself and lay your life down as a living sacrifice. But if we get grace, then we don't need to perform. This isn't, mustn't be a performance. It's engaging with the King of Kings. When, as I lead, as I follow his lead, I don't lead from a place of insecurity. I, just, it's, I can't do anything to earn his love. It's just love. It's a grace gift for all of us. And if we're safe in that, we will perform, or we, sorry, wrong word, we will live out our lives a whole lot better. So beautiful, so empowering. Maybe last couple, last couple of pictures. So, yes, a grace ends up, I love it, from the pit of a toilet. She, she gets a scholarship to America. She ends up getting a distinction, top of the class, from the pit of a toilet. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's amazing, isn't it? And, uh, and she's now working for me in social media. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. She's telling other stories of God at work in Burundi. Love that. That's part of her ongoing story. We're the hungriest country in the world. This picture helps you understand what is a statistic of 56% malnourishment. So that cute little four-year-old blonde-haired girl, she's my friend's daughter. Her name's Alma, Canadian. She's four years old. The girl in the middle is four, four years old. Well, she was four years old. She's probably dead now, and that's just a picture of malnutrition, what it does to you. That's horrific, isn't it? And that is wrong, and that, should, that makes me weep, and that makes me angry. And those are two God-given emotions, weeping with those who weep, weeping at the brokenness and anger, that that's a righteous anger, that, that that's wrong, and I, we are to do stuff about this stuff. And again, pick a fight in Edinburgh. There's loads of stuff wrong here, isn't it? And we are called to be God's redemptive agents here or wherever. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. But we can't play it safe. We just can't just retreat, batten down the hatches and look after ourselves. No, there's, we, we've got a commission to be his hands and his feet, to follow his lead. Next one. And that's the amazing man I've handed on the ministry to. He's phenomenal. Next one. Uh, and one of the things we've done with Ines for that guy, so for the last 15 years, we have sent out every summer an average of 700 evangelists. If you want to do the maths quickly, 700 times 15 years, times two, 14, because it's two weeks, times eight hours a day. So for two weeks in August, for the last 15 years, we've done this with 700 people. We've seen 170-odd thousand people come to Jesus. Isn't that mind-blowing? Mind-blowing. With all the sorts of acts, acts of apostles, miracles of casting out demons and healing the sick and getting beaten up, getting put in prison. I mean, I haven't got time to tell all the stories, but I'll give you one story, next one. And that is a witch doctor. They're burning his chance publicly, submitting to the highest power. So our guys show up and no one messes with the witch doctor because if you do, bzz, he'll curse you and your two-year-old will die or whatever. So people live in fear of this spiritual authority. And then our guys show up and he starts doing his juju stuff, you know, witchcraft. And then one of them says, in Jesus' name, he fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few moments later, could you come back in a couple of days? So they returned a few days later. That's him. As I say, at the preaching of the gospel, submitting to the highest power, and because he did, and because of that miracle, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. That's our Jesus. Loads of those stories. And it's the same Jesus who's the Lord of Edinburgh, and who this morning is saying, I want you. I want you to follow my lead. And so, you know, we've done that 50 years in Burundi, coming back to England. Uh, me, I'm based in Bath now, and... Uh, a friend wrote to me and said, why don't you do it in England? We are doing it in England. For the last few months, we've already started in Bath. We're going out on the streets. And, uh, you know, people will listen. They actually will listen. And I had the chance to lead Darren to the Lord last Saturday morning, just by going up to people saying hi and, you know, sharing Jesus. And we're just on the back foot here. We don't need to be afraid. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. 
And so let's be his hands and his feet. What's that going to look like for you? Well, as we look at the scriptures now, uh, let's get the full import of that challenge. But please, hear the challenge. It's from that place of grace. I'm not saying I'm doing it and you're a bunch of losers. No, it's all level ground at the foot of the cross, isn't it? We're just fickle duffers, but hopefully giving it our best shot. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, if that scripture is going to come up on there. Now listen, wherever I go, I say, I'm not after your money. You've got your own mission partners. I'm not after you coming out to Bruni, but I, I would love you to pray. I'm still alive because people pray. I've driven along a road once, 40 people were killed. I've had a guy come to my house with grenades, blow me up, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, so if you would pray, that would be brilliant. So that, that sheet of paper, there's a sheet of paper, do you want to grab that, in each row and uh, just pass it along. And if you... If you put your email down there, you'll just get about six emails from me in the year. And, and please, you don't have to if you've got too many emails, but if you sign up, it just means we get more prayers and our, our work is incredibly fruitful as a result. That's part of being the worldwide body of Christ. Okay, follow my lead. Jesus is saying, follow my lead. What's it look like? He was a servant leader. He laid down his life. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10:45. What will it look like to follow his lead? And, you know, am I following him or am I expecting him to follow me at my convenience, on my terms? Me setting the parameters of the relationship. That's, that's a probing question. Am I following him? Father God, as we look at these scriptures right now, will you nuke us with your love, with your grace, with appropriate challenge? Filter my words, Lord. May it just be what you want to come out and share for the edification and equipping of your body for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Follow my lead. Famous verses. It's about getting on the altar. So metaphorically, the altar's here this morning, and God is saying, I want you on the altar. This is where you're meant to be. And if we're going to follow his lead, I'm going to take out three things. I mean, every single word. Do you want to go back to verse one? Every single word on this is worth sort of picking out in a sense, but I'll, come, I'll, come, I'll, I'll hang what I'm saying on three points, if you like, to follow my lead. First of all, it's going to be to live urgently. Therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, it's because of Romans 9 to 11, it's talking about the fact, how the fact that even Scots, even a posh Englishman, even a Hutu, a Tutsi, can have access to the grace of God. Wow. Now, familiarity can breed contempt, so we're not struck in the same way as they were, but that was mind-blowing. It wasn't just the Israelites that had access to that grace. And so at the end of chapter 11, he said, spontaneous song of praise. I think the NIV calls it a doxology. Wow. And then, therefore, all because of grace, therefore, I urge you. So if we're going to follow his lead, it means living urgently. Paul says, I urge you. Now, why do you think he says, I urge you? Why? I mean, he's not saying you might like to consider, or how about doing this? I urge you, I beseech you, I plead with you. The stakes are high. He's saying, get on the altar, offer your life as a living sacrifice. The stakes are so high. Well, what are the stakes? The stakes are that Jesus, again, this is orthodoxy here, guys, which we're being very challenged to move away from because of the third thing I'm going to say this morning. Jesus said, if you believe me, you will have eternal life. If you reject me, you will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him or her. That's really heavy. 
Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 89, God will punish those who don't know him and don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. <sighs> That's really heavy. Now listen, God's heart, yeah, Jesus, the, the invitation is utterly inclusive. It's like, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Peter wrote, 2 Peter 3 verse 9, God's desire, God wills that no one should perish, that all should be saved. And that's why Paul is saying, live urgently, because if our mates, our colleagues, guys on our course, in the pub, on the club, whatever, if they do either passively or, or procrastinating, putting off the decision, or angrily, bitterly, for whatever reason, if they turn down Jesus' offer, he will say, your will be done into eternity. Now, do you believe that? Because that's just, that is orthodoxy. But that's why I say it's tempting to veer away from that because that's an unpalatable message. But we're called to carpet bomb people with God's grace, but not exchange the truth of God for a lie and not dilute. You know, it's God's, it's God's role to judge, the Holy Spirit to convict, ours is to love people. But he's saying, be faithful to the message. And, and you know, here's the deal. I, I recognize it's harder for you to live with a sense of urgency because you have, you're, you're not living in Edinburgh like, like you're expecting to die next week. I have lived for years, particular, particularly 93 to, 99 to 2003, but 2015 it kicked off again. But I lived for, for seasons of my life expecting to die this weekend as we drive up country and on the most dangerous road in the world and we dive along and 40 people get killed and we don't or hearing three gunshots and finding out my friend's head's been blown off, or whatever. Uh, and you see, if you think you're gonna die next week, how, how are you gonna live today? Well, it's gonna focus your mind, isn't it? And you're gonna, you, you, I, th I think you're gonna want to die with your house in order. So you wanna gonna say sorry to all the people you've offended. You wanna receive and offer forgiveness. You just wanna, life's too short, let's not hold on to grudges. And you're gonna get more, you're gonna stop getting excited about a new carpet fitting. Or, you know, that's, that's, cause that's, you're not gonna take that with you. Anything which is an eternal, C.S. Lewis says, is eternally out of date. And you're gonna get excited about what matters. What matters is sharing this message with people and prioritizing through your finances and use of time that, that message and, and who you are and your status as a forgiven child of God and, and you're not going to spend nine hours on PlayStation or whatever because there's too much to live for today. And we're not going to sacrifice our life at the altar of Netflix because there's too much to live for. And he's saying, come on, live urgently. My grandfather, who was a great man of faith and when he was put in the ground, having spent 40, 50 odd years in Africa in Rwanda, the country to the north of me, they said this of Peter Gilbo, which I wouldn't mind them saying about each one, one of us, with, with some qualification. Peter Gilbo worked as if he'd live forever, and he lived as if he'd die tomorrow. The qualification is that we live, we work from a place of rest, and God's a good God, and he gives us rest, and we need rhythms in our lives and Sabbath. But Peter Gilbo, Simon, Sarah, Pete, whatever, worked as if he'd live forever, passionately, full on, and lived as if they'd die tomorrow. And again, it's much harder for you guys to do it here because Edinburgh's a lovely place. I mean, you've got your issues and there are pockets of horrific stuff, aren't there? But we can certainly steer clear of those pockets and look after ourselves if we want to. And uh, you're not seeing bombs falling over your community. I am. I've been here since yesterday. I can see bombs falling all over you. Apathy. Comfort. Materialism. The list goes on. And if you haven't got eyes to see, you are going to live without urgency. And you'll be taken out. And some of us, if we self-organize, we kind of are, have been taken out. 
We have toned it down. We're settling for a domesticated Jesus. And he's saying, no, come on, the stakes are high. They're so high, please. Live with a sense of urgency. Therefore, I urge you, I urge you, brothers, sisters, follow my lead. Live urgently in view of God's mercy. Now, again, it's all about grace. End of chapter 11, grace. Then, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy. The Greek word for mercy, that's plural. It's mercies. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm tempted to self-pity and despair with my lot in life. And this is a great life skill for all of us, but some of us really need to hear it. Um, because our national pastime as Brits is, is moaning, isn't it? We are so good at complaining. And, and so when I'm tempted to complain, and I just go through the mercies of God in my life. So this guy, when he came to my house with a grenade to blow me up, he'd written me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. Was that fun? No, that wasn't fun. Was it one of the best experiences in my life? Yes. Why? Because it was an epiphany for me to suddenly think, wow, eyesight. I'm about to lose these two things. What an incredible gift. It's a gift, not a right. Do you see the difference? But because we live largely in entitlement cultures, it's all about my right. When we don't get what we want, it's an affront to my divine right to happiness, fulfillment, contentment, whatever. And that's why we're grumbling, complaining. That's why we need to see everything as a gift. So in view of God's mercies, okay, I can see, thank you, Lord, and I've got body, I've got dodgy back, but most of it works pretty well, and uh, I turn the 10 of these in my house, and I don't have to walk five miles with a jerry can on my head to get some clean, life-giving water. The, the unreached people group that we brought the gospel to, having brought them clean water, they had a life expectancy of 27 before we engaged with them, largely because of dirty water. And I can read and write. I think of a girl in one of our youth camps, she's 15, she stood up, she confessed to sleeping with a teacher to get three quid for her school fees. And I don't judge her at all. I think all of you precious sisters, you would have done the same because otherwise you'd be illiterate in first grade. There's no room to judge, is there? And we've got freedom in this nation to say Jesus is Lord. What an incredible gift as 250 million of our brothers and sisters live under oppressive regimes where they're really suffering for their faith. I was with a friend of mine. He, he was been working in China. And China persecution is really hotting up there. And, and he... Um, was processing with me. He'd been out four days from China, been back in England, and he said, Simon, every day in China, I do something to get myself arrested, i.e. tell people about Jesus. I've been back four days in England, and I haven't done anything arrestable. And his point was, where, where that he was on the field, focused, engaged, knowing there's a war, he was living with a sense of urgency, and it's so easy, it's so easy to, to fit back in. Have you done anything arrestable in the last week, last year? Last okay, hear that the right way. in view of God's mercies. Last one, and I could really go on. There's so many grace gifts of God in our lives, but last one, National Health Service. My pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms because he didn't have three quid for the medicine across the counter, three quid for his life, three quid for a disease I've had umpteen times, but I've got three quid, so I'm still alive. That's so wrong. And we have the National Health Service, and we moan about the National Health Service. Well, listen, next time you're moaning about National Health Service, I want you to picture me standing next to you and punching you in the face. What a gift! What a gift! And in view of God's mercy, he says, get on the altar, offer. So no one's forced. So follow my lead means living urgently. Secondly, following my lead means giving unreservedly. But here's the deal. It's your choice. I can't coerce you. You are not forced. It's not in a straitjacket where Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. It wasn't a goat. He wasn't tied up. And we're not forced, which means actually as a living sacrifice, you can always jump off the altar. And some of us do. And I've jumped off the altar and actually, the altar is where God wants you to be. So this is C.S. Lewis Pithy again. He says, if you step out of God's will, you step into nowhere. 
And I've been nowhere as a follower of Jesus, walking in disobedience. Some of us are in that place this morning. It could be a relationship. For me, it was a relationship. It's like loving this girl more than Jesus, shacking up with her. Pardoning my heart. Don't invade that area of my life. He wants a pure dry bride. He's saying, don't compromise. It's an incredible gift of sex. Don't cheapen it. Don't debase it. It's made for one man and one woman together in the context of marriage for life. What does obedience look like? It's challenging, isn't it? What's compromise look like? There's all sorts of areas. Is it how we use our money, how we use our time, how we see other people? You know, love, 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 grace, grace, grace. But standing on the truth, giving everything, I urge you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. And the thing is, we, we bargain, don't we? We bargain with God. I'll, I'll do this, Lord, if you give me a life, mate. I'll do this if you pay the bills, if you take care of my health, if you keep me safe. And, he, and it was Oswald Chambers who said this, God can't bless you until he has you. And when you try to keep an area of your life that is your own, it's an area of death. And in love, he claims all. There's no bargaining with him. Does that hit you? It hits me. Because I want to bargain with him. God, my bargaining, what was it, honestly? Take care of the kids, Lord. And I had to surrender that, including when it kicking off in 2015, thinking, is my wife going to get raped? Are the kids going to get traumatized? Thinking, is this going to cost us our whole lives? I haven't got time to tell you two incredible miracles of protection that we had and provision, mind-blowing. But uh, that was mine, that was mine. And, 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 and when we try to bargain with him, he says, God, God says, I want to bless you, but you're holding on to that area of death and you need to surrender it. And in love, I claim all because my will is good, pleasing and perfect. That's verse two. And so actually you can be good, you can be holy and pleasing to me. That's what it says in verse one there. So pleasing comes twice in this passage. We can be pleasing to God because we need to trust him. that His will is good, pleasing and perfect. And honestly, you're not gonna buy into this message this morning if you don't believe that his will is good, pleasing and perfect, that he's a trustworthy heavenly father. But he is, he is, he is so worthy. And he's saying, follow my lead, Get, live urgently, give unreservedly, unreservedly. This is a question for our age. Is God gonna help himself to me or am I so taken up with what I want to make of my life? In our hyper-individualistic ages, no, come on. It's all about me. Do you remember that worship song? One guy was letting rip in church saying that, and actually the words are, it's all about you and Jesus. But he's going, it's all about me for my glory and my fame. He just got the pronouns wrong. But he was the only honest guy in the house, wasn't he? Therefore I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer, not forced, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You can be holy, you can be pleasing to him, and this will be your true and proper worship. Greek word, there's logiken, from which we get logical. And he's saying it's logical for you to be all in, it's illogical to be half in. You know, the, Jesus saying this way, and our buddies who don't subscribe to him saying go that way, and Jesus saying no, this is the way. And our everyone else saying go that way and you know that's a very uncomfortable and vulnerable position isn't it he's saying come on no be all in it's logical 1 Corinthians 15 where it's the theology of, of the resurrection and, and, and I'm with Paul he's saying verse 19 it says if we have hope only for this life we're to be pitied above all people if we have hope if, you know if you're here on a Sunday morning you know you could be playing sport you could be lying in bed you could be up to all sorts of different stuff which, you know, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that would make sense. We're wasting our time in a holy huddle this morning. But if he did rise from the dead, you're in the right place. And he's given you a commission to get out there and change the world from that place of total surrender. That will be your spiritual, your logic and your true and proper worship. And so lastly, so 
Follow my lead means living urgently, giving unreservedly, and thirdly, being transformed radically. Look at verse two. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're called to be transformed, not conformed. The J.B. Phillips paraphrased version of this says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And everything is squeezing us into a different mold. The lies of advertising. You know, apparently, according to TED Talk recently, we get bombarded with 6,000 lies a day, uh, adverts. And every advert is a lie, isn't it? Sorry for you, the advertising industry. I hope you really believe in your product. But basically, every, every product is saying, every advert is saying, you are not fully man, woman, beautiful, sexy, whatever, complete, without this product, and this will make you whole. Mm, that's that's so, so lame, isn't it? You are so beautiful and so precious because he picked you out of the toilet. Because you are so worth the blood of his son. So let's not be squeezed into a different mold. Let's not think that if I spend an extra 20 quid on a design label that I have value. Uh, you don't. You have value because you picked out the toilet. I've got friends in the States. They stop during the adverts on TV. They stop the advert and they say to their kids, what's the lie in that one? And they're teaching their kids to think. think so many of us, we leave our brain at the door. And, uh, and amusement, amuse, a muso, Latin, without thinking. We're not thinking, we're not discerning. And so we get conditioned and squeezed into different mold. And Jesus has got a radically different mold. He's saying, be free, don't conform. And this is, this is all, all challenging. And if you're going through a really rough time this morning, and some of us, I know, are going through a hell of a time, may you be encouraged by this, this story of, of a bunch of ladies in Kentucky studying uh, the book of Malachi in their life group. And it was the third week, third chapter. And it says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And uh, so they're all discussing that picture of God, the silversmith, with the, the furnace and the silver being burnt here. And, um, you know, so we're in there and burning off the dross and the impurities, and it's painful and ugh, it's difficult, but, but he's watching us. Okay, anyway, one lady wants to get the full import of that picture, so the next day she went to a silversmith. Can I watch you? And he said, yeah, come on in. She sat down with him, and uh, after a while watching him, she said, now, do you have to sit the whole time whilst the refining process is taking place? Because it said, he will sit as a refined and purified silver. And she said, he, he said, yes, ma'am, I have to sit the whole time with my eyes intently fixed on the furnace. Because if the refining process is exceeded by the slightest degree, then the silver will be damaged. She said, oh, that's encouraging, you know, because I am going through a hell of a time. And it's really hot in the furnace. And I want to step off the altar. I want to get out of there. But... Heavenly Father, whose will is good, pleasing, and perfect, he's got his eyes intently fixed on me, and he won't let that refining process, all those impurities being burnt off the dross, he won't let that refining process be taken an incy-wincy bit beyond what's right because he doesn't want me to be damaged. And so she said, thank you. She was left comforted. But as she walked out, he said, hang on. I forgot to tell you one thing, and that is that I only know that the refining process is complete when I can see my image reflected in the silver. Isn't that beautiful? Going through a tough time this morning, hang on in there. Some of us, we're hanging on by the skin of our teeth. It is worth it. He's got his eye on you. He loves you. He wants to journey with you. You can do it. You've got what it takes to be who he's called you to be. It's not easy. It's not easy for my brothers and sisters out there. We've hung on in there through some very difficult stuff. God sees. He loves. He's with you. The one who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world. We can get through. 
follow his lead. Be secure in that, in who you are in Christ. We've got our issues. But you're a child of the king. It's all grace. So you can live urgently, give unreservedly and be transformed radically. And as I was cycling across London Bridge when I was studying theology in London, and I used to think of my hero, D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman, American evangelist, and, and he knew that he had to shake London in order for the ripple effects to be felt throughout uh, Britain. And this was before the age of mass communication. They reckoned he led over a million people to the Lord throughout his lifetime, without radio, without the internet, whatever. Prolific speaker, anointed evangelist. But there was a seminal moment earlier on in his life as an uneducated man, gifted but uneducated. And he was talking to a guy called Henry Varley. And Varley said this, DL, the world has yet to see what God will do with one man. fully consecrated to him. And D.L. mulled that over. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with one man, one woman. Doesn't have to have an education. He didn't have an education. But fully consecrated to him. And he resolved, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. Well, by the grace of God, you be that student. By the grace of God, you be that grandparent. By the grace of God, you be that leader. In the church, outside the church, you be that, that lawyer, that dentist, that doctor, that IT. Whatever sphere we're in, by the grace of God, let's be his people. We're not any better than anyone else. We're just better off. Because we know where we're going. We've got a bigger narrative that we live by. We know how precious we are. By the grace of God, I'll be that whatever I am in Burundi and around the country. Follow his lead. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? Do you understand? And I invite you to open your hands if you're comfortable with that. It was St. Augustine years ago. He said, God gives where he finds empty hands. Maybe you've struggled to receive because, metaphorically, your hands are stuffed full. And we need to simplify. I think so many of us need to simplify. And Lord, as I look at my hand right now, it's empty. And it's a position of surrender and vulnerability and submission and dependence. And Lord, I want to receive from you. We've all messed up. Well, thank you that grace is available. But we don't want it to be cheap grace, Lord. And we want to follow your lead, secure in the love of the Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
We can't, oh, we haven't got time probably, we can't all come and jump on the altar right now, but do you want to do that metaphorically? Here's the altar, and he's saying, get on, stay on, cling to it. Come, Holy Spirit, convict, stir up, encourage, minister. You are so welcome. We're coming to communion shortly. That's another place you can do business with him and respond after that. But this is me recommitting my life right now. You can join me. It could be the first time. It could be the umpteenth time. Lord, afresh, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I want you to be my security, nothing else. Forgive me for where I'm bargaining with you. This morning, I resolve to stop bargaining. Increase in me a sense of urgency for the lost. So in following your lead, I choose to live urgently. I choose to give unreservedly and I choose to be transformed radically, enough conforming to the spirit of the age. You can have my past, so you can have my pain, my anger, my bitterness, my frustration, my depression, despair, disillusionment, dashed dreams. You can have all the negative stuff, Lord. But you can also have the future and my hopes, dreams, longings, ambitions. You can have the good and the bad. You can have today, Lord. I give you my family, my friends, my job, my longing for a different job, my financial situation, my health, everything. We want, and we say we're in to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, thanking that your will is good, perfect and pleasing. And therefore, by your mercies, we pray this prayer in confidence. Thank you, Lord. You are so worthy. Thank you that there is so much potential this morning, not because it's this church in particular, because it's any body of Christ gathered, but you want to use us. You want to lay hold of us. Behold, I make all things new. Now is the time of God's favor. Today, now is the time of his salvation. Start of a fresh year, fresh page. Let's do it, Lord. Use us for your glory in this city and beyond. By the grace of God, I'll be that man, woman, each one of us here. By your grace, Lord, for the glory of the risen King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.